Toto Wolf is probably channeling that that frustration, but it is vital that in the next two weekends, Mercedes sort out their car and find out what's going on. There are two races to go in the 2023 F1 calendar and the Brazil Grand Prix may well be the lowest point of a disappointing and frustrating season for the Mercedes F1 team. My name's Balfe Baines and welcome to the Silver Arrows podcast. After a tricky weekend, we're here to discuss how many of the team's issues stemmed from the problems with the new floor, where it leaves our expectations for next year and how we see the rest of the season going. to help us do all of that we have adam williams who is an f1 journalist hello adam you can hear the pain in my voice already i can and i probably feel a bit of it too to be fair it's not the best of weekends but we can dissect it now yes we definitely can dissect it and to help us do that we also are very very pleased to welcome back bryson sullivan hello bryson hi thanks for having me back uh that was a fun weekend wasn't it <laughs> right let's let's get into that as much as it's gonna make me cry let's get into it bryson the new floor i think that's that's probably the best place for us to to start is it being trouble or are they being ultra cautious with, with that new floor that was in Brazil this weekend? Well, I mean, I think I think the first thing to say about any upgraded Formula One is that it's not like a, a video game. You, you can't just slap on a part and it's automatically two tenths in, in every situation, in every scenario. All parts require some fine tuning to optimize. But at the same time, if you look at the performance of that floor in Austin and in Mexico, it seemed like they were actually on top of what the appropriate setup really needed to be. Things were dramatically different this weekend. And I think that the sprint format had a, a big factor to do with that. So the, the short answer to your to your question is, yes, there still may be some teething issues with the floor itself. But fundamentally, I think that setup is the, the core of the problem. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. It is the sprint format. But all of the teams have an hour to prepare their car. It's annoying that the car is then in part for me, but those are the rules. And those are the rules that everyone has to, to abide by. So it's something that Mercedes need to be better at adapting to. They made the mistake in Austin of having a floor too low. They probably knew past uh, the the point of part for me that they were going to be in trouble and there was nothing that they could do about it but it it happened again and i i can't help but think to myself what would nikki lauder say because of course we we lost nikki uh four years ago and he was such an influential figure within that team and while you have good figures still within the team nikki was straight to the point he he would probably say, look, we're making mistakes here. What are we going to do to fix it? We, we can't have it like this. And, and Toto Wolf is probably channeling that, that frustration, but it is vital that in the next two weekends, Mercedes sort out their car and find out what's going on. But also, we know that Mercedes' strength is working overnight on the data. They can't do this in this new era of F1 when... There's sprint formats here, there, and everywhere, especially towards the end of the season, it would appear. So that is an area that needs to be improved. You said, Adam, that the sprint format isn't working. So my big question is why? 
and and what would you change? We've had six rounds this season. We have it at we had it at Azerbaijan, Austria, Belgium, Qatar, the US, and obviously Brazil this weekend. So, what would you change, and why is it not working? For specifically for Mercedes, you said all the teams have these rules. So, why is it affecting Mercedes so much? I think it goes back to to what I just said um, that Mercedes have maybe gotten into the habit or or they they've they've played to their strength of of coming together overnight and and understanding the data uh, but this isn't something that you can do to to quote a, a brundleism i know that before we started uh, me and bryson were saying we love a brundleism you need a plug and play car and that isn't something that the mercedes is at the moment it is I'm going to quote Martin again here. It's a Frankenstein car uh, because there are so many different pieces put onto it in a compromise because uh, the Silver Arrows have gone the wrong way again in 2023. I think, and a lot of Mercedes fans will hope, that that won't be the case next year. But if we see them still struggle uh, in this this sprint format where you have one hour of practice only and then you cannot change the car, then that's going to be a big issue going forward into F1. Because if Mercedes want to compete for titles, sprint weekends will matter. I know they don't really matter now, but they will in the future where every point matters. Yeah, if I can if I can just add on to that, I think the point that you mentioned was really quite evident is that yes, Mercedes is known for these Friday night miracles, but Friday night miracles, as impressive and heroic as they are, are a consequence of, of not getting it right when you get to the track in the first place. Right. It, it would be much better to arrive at the circuit, you know, right away with the appropriate setup, you know, right out of the box. It's one of the things that Red Bull is fantastic at. It's one of the things that Max is especially fantastic at going fast quickly. You had mentioned, Bal, the question of what do we fix with the sprint races. I will say that the the unpredictability and the difficulty of teams getting the setup right after one practice session was kind of intentional on the part of the FIA and F1 to try to make the sprint interesting, to try to mix up the grid more than it might be a normal qualifying. I think even they were surprised by the unintended consequences of what's happened with that. Because not only are teams getting things so wrong that they're being disqualified, but then they go in the other direction and have no pace either. So, I mean, if we were going to, quote unquote, fix sprints, I mean, I think Formula 2 found the solution to this problem years ago, is reverse the top 10 from the regular qualifying to make the sprint grid. And that's a little bit of a a middle ground between reversing the entire grid and not doing anything. But I think it's probably the most reasonable solution. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm going to make it two for two and add another Brundleism. And he said on commentary that the car seemed to have a parachute on the back of it. So, Bryce, are we laying the blame fully on the floor? Do you think there are other aspects at play? No, I mean, there's definitely other aspects at play. And, and to explain why, let me just back up for a second. So we understand that the floor is a, is a critical downforce producing element of the car. We know that the lower you get the floor to the ground, the more downforce it produces. But I don't think people realize how nonlinear that is which is to say it's not like you you know decrease the floor height by 5% and you get a 5% increase in downforce. It's like exponential. There's a huge sensitivity there at the lower ride heights. And so if you get that ride height wrong by even a few millimeters, essentially, that can cut into your overall downforce that you can produce. Not only is it the case that you produce less downforce when the floor is higher, but directly it also produces more drag from the floor when, it, when it's at a higher angle. Not only that, when your floor is not producing its fair share of the downforce distribution, you have to rely on the rear wing more. And relying on the rear wing is dirty drag. That's why, you know, Red Bull has been so fantastic at many circuits is that their floor works incredibly well. It can be run at very low ride heights. They don't have to rely on the rear wing to create, you know, dirty levels of downforce, which overall results in better aerodynamic efficiency, which helps them at in so many ways I can't even get into. But the question of, you know, going back to Martin's uh, statement about the rear wing or about the car looking like it has a, uh, a barn door on the back of it, I mean, that, that's accurate. But that may be what Mercedes thinks they need to do in order to hit their downforce targets because the floor is not working well enough. And so if you can't get the floor to create the downforce efficiently, you have to create it somehow, you know, inefficiently with, with the rear wing. And I think we mentioned the, the floor upgrade and how does that factor into this discussion one of the things that Red Bull's floor design has that's quite a bit different from some other teams is that it has a very high roof to the Venturi tunnels. They're very three-dimensional, which we always talk about, but they're also very high. Other teams have a very like low roof, and in principle, that would, the lower roof would give you a higher peak downforce by making the smallest possible gap between the floor and the ground, but it's just so sensitive there that you can't actually achieve that level of downforce. So if you make the roof a little bit higher, you can run the car lower in a more consistent way, how, that, which is a great thing for running the car low, as we saw for Mercedes and Austin, if this ends up being the, the actual case. The problem is, if you do run the car higher than you're designing it to run, if it really is optimized to run at a very low ride height, if you're forced to run at a high ride height, you lose a greater percentage of your downforce with that higher tunnel to the Venturi tunnel, the higher roof to the Venturi tunnels than you would have with the old version of the design. So it could be the case that the floor that Mercedes produced, which was so fantastic in, in Austin, producing a measurable increase in downforce and grip. Uh, is actually even worse at higher ride heights if you're out of the, the operational window. I love that explanation. I think on top of that, 
the lower downforce meant that the Mercedes was sliding around more, using up its tyres, and that's why we saw Mercedes struggle uh, with degradation so much more than their competitors, particularly this weekend, uh, despite having the the large rear wing uh, to to try and increase that that downforce. Because, as I know that it's been explained in the past on this podcast, that the more uh, or, or the less, sorry, that that you push down on the tires, the easier it is for it to rub along the the surface like like a rubber uh, along a piece of paper, and that's why uh, they they grain so much. And uh, Lewis and and George were having to drive so much slower just to keep in the race and, and not have to do a four stop or five stop strategy. You talked about the strategy there, Adam. What what was it for our race? Because we heard on the radio. Russell was not happy with with the strategy that was being told to him by his engineers. Yeah, well, I I think it was it was always going to be a three stop strategy for Mercedes, given how much they were struggling with the tires. Uh, when it gets difficult, George tends to want to do something more radical to try something new because he's got nothing to lose, and, and I suspect there was a little bit of that. Um, he's quite often on the radio uh, talking about wanting to be let past Lewis whenever he's anywhere near to Lewis. But I don't think he understood from inside the car that Lewis was just managing his tyres as much as as he was. And, and once he, he kind of understood that, he dropped back himself and unfortunately retired in, in the race. Um, but I, I guess we'll get on to that in more detail later. There's one small thing I wanted to add to our our very rich discussion here has been very fruitful is that drag is also a function of cooling as well. Um, it's not necessarily the case for Mercedes this time because we actually think that they are undercooling the car, especially if you think of what happened to George later on in, in the session. But just something to keep in the back of the listeners' minds is if you get the cooling wrong of the car, that can also be a contributor to drag. And, and it can also be a direct contributor to slower lap times because if you have not enough cooling, you can get it wrong the other way, which is maybe it's not a direct drag problem, but because everything is so hot, brakes are too hot, engine's too hot, you have to slow down anyway, even if you, you know, could theoretically go faster just to keep the temperatures under control. So just something to keep in mind as well. Cooling is a factor. That's a great point. And, and they increased, or they were allowed to increase the cooling uh, because it had gone from rating conditions in qualifying to the Grand Prix, which was on rating conditions on Sunday. Am I right in thinking that? There may be some sort of uh, qualifier there because of the sprint weekend and and, and Park Forme. I mean, we can we can talk about some of the some of the details there. But fundamentally, one thing I do know Mercedes did is they reverted back to the the narrow engine cover uh, that they used. They used the, the wider I call the Darth Vader <laughs> engine cover that they were using in Mexico and Austin. Uh, that has a much wider outlet. Uh, near the beam wing and the rear wing, which in principle should give you a higher mass flow rate through the cooling system. They opted not to, to use that in Brazil, and it actually might have cost them. So what was the decision not to use 
that that cooling then pricing you know it, it's it's such a strange thing because that engine cover you know we first saw it in free practice in monaco in, in fp1 in, in monaco and i thought it was a very cool addition everyone was focused on the new side pods in monaco but we happened to notice that engine cover as well but they'd never ran it in a competitive session until you know much later in the season and now even when they are running it they, they aren't doing it in a consistent way so clearly the, the the leadership the engineering leadership is themselves not sure about the right way to, to use that particular you know piece of hardware but it's just something that i noticed as the race was going on was it potentially to decrease drag that little bit more given that they knew they were going to be struggling with that going into the weekend and almost half of the lap is is going at, at full chap even though you've got a corner it's it you, you refer to it as the main straight wouldn't you from from young chow uh up to the the brazilian no, the, the center S, sorry, not the Brazilian S. <laughs> well, it is, it is still Brazilian too, technically. Uh, yes, true. No, no. I, 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 that's, that's definitely possible. I mean, the only thing that I would to, to think about, and we're having this conversation in real time and, and the thoughts are coming up in real time, is that I'm not sure Mercedes knew before the weekend started that they were definitely going to have a drag problem. I think... The decision ultimately, I and mean, we can talk about the effect of the previous disqualification, but I think that they're being overly conservative uh, with the ride height being higher than it really needed to be had a, a slew of consequences that I mean, one of the effects was was what we just mentioned. But I, I think it's one of the things that is a, is a consequence of a sprint race and it's something that they're going to debrief extensively, uh, probably happening right now, as a matter of fact. It wouldn't surprise me if, if they are debriefing right now. Uh, Adam, you spoke about George retiring. What happened? Uh, yeah, well, Bryson alluded to it. I think uh, he was experiencing massive increases in engine temp or power unit temperatures, as we should call it now. Um, so it was looking as though he might have to retire anyway, and that could have potentially caused more damage to the car. I believe it was the last race he was set to use that particular power unit. So he won't be looking at any more penalties or anything like that. But it, it was just a precautionary thing and it didn't look like he was going to be scoring that many points, if any, anyway. So it it was more of a case of, of putting him and his, his car out of his misery, really. Um, one year on after his first win, what a change a, a season makes. Yeah, I, I think that that contributes to the emotional roller coaster that the fans have been going through this weekend. Not only is it the case that Mercedes is suffering one of their worst in-race results of the entire season, but the expectations pre-event were so high. Right? This was the one race they won last year. This was, you know, Lewis Hamilton's first race in Brazil as an honorary citizen. There's so much energy and excitement around the weekend, and yet there's the disconnect between what the expectations were and what actually ended up happening was was dramatic. I mean, I think after qualifying, many people said, well, Mercedes typically has better race pace. Qualifying wasn't great, but, you know, we'll see what happens on Sunday or, or, in, or in the sprints. But it turns out that the qualifying was actually the best part of their <laughs> best part of the weekend. I mean, the qualifying pace was actually better than the race pace. And we'll talk about some of the consequences that that has and some of the reasons for that a little bit going forward. But I, I just think it's important to understand the dynamics of 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 emotion and, and why this feels like such a, a body blow to fans is because the expectations were really high going in. Absolutely right. And and not having someone like um I know that she was only Lewis Hamilton's PA and physio, but Angela Cullen was always a shining light within that team and and always 
smiling and, and, and a morale boost for the team. And having people like her not in the team as well would have made it more difficult for, for those that, that would have been absolutely knackered after three weeks, well, probably more than three weeks, really, because they've got to set up for Austin uh, on the road and away from their friends and family. So, uh, yeah, a tough one to take. But two weeks until Vegas, and that's going to be completely different. I'm so looking forward to the Vegas one. It's a, it's a first race for everyone, so it feels like it's a, it's an even playing field for everyone. Are you, we spoke are you looking forward to getting Sorry. up at, what time is it? Something like 4 a.m.? It, it's <laughs> uh, 4.30 for the, for the FB1 UK time and then 6 a.m. on the Sunday for us Ooh. here in the UK. So, Bryson... Um, I, mean, I think you've got it you, easy. You know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that you know this. This is us over here most of the time. <laughs> most of the time, yeah. this is what we have to deal with. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. You know, sorry. <laughs> no, you're not. So that's fair enough. Adam and I are complaining. <laughs> Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Last week, we spoke about uh, Mike Elliott. Uh, producer Ben uh, was kind enough to step in for me. So do you think Mike Elliott had an effect on, on the, the result this weekend? Or do you think that's too far of a stretch, Adam? I think it's too far of a stretch, but he will be a loss for the team as they, they try and understand it because there's no doubting how intelligent uh, Mike Elliott was. And he's, he's been there for all of those years, the Mercedes have been winning in a row. Um, the, the last time that Mercedes didn't win in the season was 2011. I think he was probably still in the team. I can't remember. Um, yeah, he was. So, yeah, he's he's been influential as part of that winning streak. Yeah, so a lot of people are pointing the finger at him after he kind of took over. Well, he did take over from James Allison for a while as chief technical officer or sorry director um but yeah he's going to be a loss as they they crunch the data um there's going to be credible people still within the team of course so it's not like they're they're going to be well mercedes fans will hope this and i imagine this is true that they they will find a, a reason they're not going to completely be lost 
by this data. Um, but he will be a loss um, going forward for sure. But he, he yeah, he wasn't uh, to blame for this weekend. That's for sure. I definitely think he got some unfair criticism when he announced his departure. Yeah. So uh, whatever Mike Elliott does next, he, I'm sure he will he will thrive and and survive. Um, with the W14 Bryson, we're hearing rumours that it was a second slower per lap than last year. With your sources, Bryson, with your knowledge and experiences, experiences, do you think that's something that could be true? Yeah, there's there's no question, you know, numerically, you can just look up what the, the W14's finishing time was for the sprint race, for example, in, in uh, 2023 versus what the W13 did in, in 2022, and it was slower. There's no question it was slower. And I think this is one of the things I try to convey to people when we talk about upgrades and, and, and everything else. Car setup is arguably more important than upgrades. You know, you can have a good upgrade that's worth, you know, a tenth or half a tenth, but the wrong setup can cost you half a second or more. <laughs> okay. It can cost you a huge amount of time. So I, I don't think that it's it's right to say uh, Mercedes as a team, as, as an organization, built a car that is inherently a second or two seconds lap slower than the car they had brought previously. What it really reflects is the car they brought in combination with how it was set up and the amount of time they gave to set it up resu- resulted in that performance. And we can see that's a possibility because just look at what happened last year. If you look at last year, Red Bull was nowhere to be seen really in, in Brazil's race last year. That's not because Red Bull built a bad car. It was because they got the setup completely wrong. As a matter of fact, there are some very curious parallels between how Mercedes got things wrong in Brazil and how Red Bull got things wrong in Brazil. The difference is when Red Bull gets things wrong, they were, you know, sixth and seventh. <laughs> when, when Mercedes got things wrong, they're like eighth and, and DNF. And it should have been lower than that, too, because Charles Leclerc retired, which he, he shouldn't have retired. And uh, uh, Esteban Ocon three stopped for some reason, and he would have probably been ahead of them as well. So I, I think that in reality, you know, that was just a, a really bad weekend for Mercedes. But one thing I want to just mentioned here because we may not get a chance to talk about it later the w14 as a car is still fundamentally compromised yes it has a brand new exciting floor yes it has wide down washing side pods like a red bull now that's those are steps in the right direction but mechanically it still bears the fingerprints of the zero pod design and the compromises that were made to accommodate it you know where is the driver position relative to the the the, the front and rear axles you know where are the side impact structures you know all, all where what is the suspension layout like i mean all of these things are limited in how they can be modified within the cost cap and so if there's one good thing of news for fans going into the next season is that the w15 is genuinely a clean sheet design that has no fingerprints whatsoever of zero pod philosophy. You, know, you can argue whether that's Mike Elliott's responsibility or not, but that's a separate question. But as a matter of fact, it's going to be the case that W15 is a clean sheet design. And there are plausible reasons to believe that that is going to have a big impact on the ultimate performance of the car. Whereas the W13 and the W14 were still, you know, in that same philosophy, the W15 is going to be a, a different animal entirely. So saying that, Bryson, I'm going to open Pandora's box. Adam, I'm going to come to you in a second. But Bryson, do you think what do you think the car is more important or do you think the driver is more important in those situations? This is, this is Formula One. 
unfortunately. Uh, and Formula One is a prototype series. And I would say that the car you have underneath you is a huge, huge fraction of the overall performance, something like 80% or something like that. At the same time, it takes a special kind of driver to speak the language of the car to be able to extract the maximum pace out of it. So you can you can put you know Michael Schumacher in a Jordan from or the, from that time when they were not good, and he's not going to win the race. He's a great driver, and it's not going to happen. That's not the same as other series like spec series like IndyCar, or maybe some other series that has you know bounds of performance like IMSA or, or WEC or something like that, or WEC specifically, uh, where you could actually the driver can make the difference. The driver can be put in a backmarker team and be good enough to actually make the difference there. But Formula One, the car is incredibly important. One positive that Mercedes can take from right now is that they do have two very strong drivers. And that's one of the things that is that has benefited them the entire season. Now, granted, they fight sometimes and we know that, you, you know, we talked about George and Lewis and how they get on or don't get on in a given situation. But the consistency there has actually been the reason why Mercedes is second in the championship. They're not second in the championship because they have the second fastest car. They're second in the championship because they have the best combination of car and and drivers. One thing I will give Mercedes credit for is they've done a better job of late with pit stops. Pit stops have been not fantastic, but they've been better than they were historically. And that's a step in the right direction. So I just wanted to give them their credit for that before I forget. You're you're right that Mercedes have two amazing drivers in in George and Lewis, but they also want similar kind of things from the car, which is critical compared to their competitors, Ferrari uh, for P2 in the championship, where it appears that when one driver does well, the other not so well because they want different things for the car. Um, and, and another positive thing that Mercedes fans can take from this weekend, not that there's many, is that Ferrari only outscored Mercedes by two points because of Leclerc's uh, DNS, not DNF, because he didn't make the start. Uh, so, yeah, all is not lost in terms of the championship, but we're, we're not interested in P2 in the championship as, as Mercedes fans. We're interested in P1 in both championships and that's what will come next year. The, the other thing, uh, back to Mike Elliott, is that I understand he had three senior members of staff that are intelligent and credible in their own right, and they all agreed with the data that they should go with the zero pub design. So it wasn't just Mike Elliott. It was a team decision. And, you know, they always say we win and we lose together. That's what they're doing. They're doing a lot of losing together at the moment. But... You never know what happens next year if, once they go in a different direction. Look at the way that McLaren have, have really in, increased their stride as the season's gone on. Yeah, I, I would just say I, I have no doubt that the, the numbers that were being produced by the wind tunnel and by CFD were incredibly attractive to the engineers making their decisions at the time. But I try to emphasize and impress upon people all the time this is incredibly hard. This is an incredibly difficult sport. It is an incredibly technological sport. If you needed any more evidence of that, look at Aston Martin this weekend. They, they reverted their car to old specification versions of the parts or a mixture of new parts and old parts, but they were taking new parts off the car and they went faster, <laughs> right? I mean, th this is a complex sport and I think a lot of times people don't seem to appreciate how complex it is and how difficult it is. 
but I, I can assure you that there are extremely talented people working behind the scenes, working their level best to make the car as fast as possible. There just needs to be a little bit more learning and knowledge, and a lot of that can go into the W15. The, the other thing um, that is just great about F1, and I, I, you, you can throw this out of the, of the podcast if you want or not, but I was I was having a chat with someone on Friday, and they were fairly new to F1 and asking me lots of questions and then apologizing and saying, sorry, I've got so many questions. And I was like, look, it doesn't matter whether you're a fan, a reporter, or a a member of, of the engineering team and an F1 team, um, everyone is constantly asking questions. It's one of the reasons that we love this sport. We're all learning together. And that's that's the magic of F1. But but yeah, it goes to what Bryson's saying. It's bloody difficult as well. So, um, yeah. And talking about how hard it is, and I would never compare myself with anybody in a Formula 1 team, but I'm currently building the McLaren F1 Lego car. And it is hard. <laughs> it is so hard. I'm struggling. So I don't know how the boys and girls in Brackley and Bricksworth do it, but uh, we're talking. Well, well, now, now, now imagine, now imagine someone crashed your car at FP1 or in qualifying and they have to rebuild oh, it within two hours. But look, you give them. <laughs> I would cry. I would cry, Bryson. I would absolutely cry. So Lewis was very, very vocal on how bad the car was post-race. So, Bryson, what do you think Lewis would do if that continues into the 2024 season? What impressed me about Lewis's summary of the Brazilian GP is that he wasn't even mad, per se. He was certainly describing in in great detail what the problems were, but it was almost kind of giggling. It was almost kind of laughing. So that's how you really know it was a bad weekend. (laughs) The weekend was so bad that you've actually gone beyond the pure upset phase. And you're like, wow, this is hilariously bad, literally. Um, That's something to consider. But no, in terms of what Mercedes does going forward, I mean, look, there's no... At the end of the day, there's no substitute for engineering knowledge and engineering know-how and operational prowess of the team to be able to put together a fast car on the race weekend, to have the fast car inherently, then to nail the setup right away on that weekend and to have uh, good pit stops, et cetera, good strategy. But in terms of what Lewis Hamilton does for the future, in terms of deciding you know, what he's going to do, if Mercedes cannot develop a fast car, I don't really see Lewis going to any other teams at this particular phase in his career. He doesn't seem to have this the, the flight of foot sort of characteristic that Fernando has, where he will tend to go to other teams if he sees the winds changing. I, I think Lewis is probably going to stay with Mercedes, and he is, re- in reality, one of the best people to have in your corner if you're trying to fix problems with a car and build a car that's fast. I think one of the great sort of criminal things that's happened over the course of many years is he doesn't actually get enough credit for how much he has contributed to Mercedes' success in their era of domination from the driver's feedback perspective. But in terms of what he will do, I think he is fully committed to the team and helping them in any way that he can, providing for them the best feedback possible in the most detail possible. And on the days when they do have a car that can fight, you know, he's going to give it everything he has. So in, in the, the long term and, and short term, I, I really see Lewis being fully committed to Mercedes regardless of how well they're doing. But it's just something that it's going to have to be considered going forward. Yeah, I, I fully agree. One of Lewis's uh, major qualities is his loyalty. Uh, we've seen that over the years. He's never driven an F1 car without a Mercedes engine in it. 
um, and his love for McLaren, his old team, he's often spoken about. Um, maybe McLaren would be the only team he'd go back to, but there's not really much sense in that, even though the customer team at the moment are outperforming the works team. Uh, once you, you get to competing for championships, I think that's maybe the step that McLaren are missing at the moment. There, there will be that that natural compromise between the engine and, and the car that they're trying to develop. So Lewis is in the right place. Um, he has been in the right place for a long time. Maybe it's not the right car at the moment, but yeah, he, he spoke recently uh, about his future and he said that he's up for another five years. So that's, what, 43 years old, I want to say? Yes, it would. Oh, no, 42. How old is he? He's... He's 38, isn't he? So, yeah, 43. I was right the first time. Point is, he'll be fairly old for an F1 driver um, at that point, but I don't see him slowing down. I don't see his love and his desire for F1, his team, and getting that eighth title that all of them, and, and even non-Mercedes affiliated people, believe that he deserves. So I think that that's an important factor, that there's... There's a cause behind that, and it's not just winning a title. It's not just any title. It's A, beating Schumacher, and B, it's kind of that, that not righteousness, but, but putting right a wrong that we all know. I'm not going to mention it, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, you, you reminded me there about when you said about Lewis laughing there, Bryce, about when Ferrari got knocked out of qualifying in Monza, their home race in 2020, and they, they like Charles and, and Seb, were looking at each other laughing uh, just because otherwise they'd be crying. And, and it was almost that level, uh, not quite, but almost that level of, of bewilderment at how badly it had gone wrong. Uh, but... Let's not forget that Ferrari, a couple of years later, were were able to compete uh, for, for the World Championship last year. And the reason that they didn't win it, or one of the many reasons, uh, or a major reason, sorry, is their lack of um, strategy and, and stuff that Mercedes does fairly well uh, week in, week out. So Mercedes has a championship-winning team that is still the case. He's got a championship-winning driver in Lewis Hamilton, and he, he knows those two things. He knows it's just a car. And even if it's a car that's, I don't know, a tenth or two off the Red Bull, that's where that 20% comes in. And I think Lewis has the belief, yes, Verstappen is an elite driver, potentially the same level as Lewis, so it would be incredibly difficult but I think Lewis has the belief that he can get race wins and potentially challenge Max, uh, even if he's got a car that's a tenth off off the rebel. And that's one of the things that let's go back to to Brazil because it was the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. Lewis has that kind of similarity to Senna in that they thrive when they've got their back against the wall and they're fighting against adversity. So I almost feel like having a car that that's just 
behind and not quite there, that would fuel him even more. It's, it's kind of like they, they say to train uh, with runners or tennis players that are just a little bit better than you. That makes you better yourself. I think that's the case with Lewis. So he'd be motivated even more by that. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There was a, a post-race interview with Toto Wolf and Andrew Shovlin, who was the trackside engineer, and they didn't know why it was slow this weekend. Adam, is that a, is that a bad omen for us Mercedes fans? Just for those that didn't see the Toto Wolf interview uh, with Ted Kravitz, go and watch it or listen to this podcast because I've made a list of some of my like the big hitting lines. Uh, the fact it was an inex- an inexcusable performance. Uh, Toto feels sorry for Lewis and George for driving such a miserable thing. Um, whatever we did was horrible, so the word horrible again. Uh, Lewis survived out there. George, I didn't, did he? He had to uh, give in because of uh, his power unit issues. The car was on a knife edge. We know, well, we don't actually. Mercedes don't know why that was, but we know they were struggling with that because of the lack of downforce, despite the dirty downforce, as uh, Bryson's described, totally baffling. It's worrying that they don't really understand. And hopefully, like we say, as we record this podcast, they're trying to work out why uh, this unacceptable performance has come about. Uh, The car doesn't deserve to win. Looking that way, isn't it? also drove like it was on three wheels rather than four. That speaks to the lack of uh, tyre management, but also grip and downforce. And finally, yeah, tyres were sliding all over the place. So, yeah, plenty said in an interview uh, where there weren't many questions. It was almost like, let him go and, and, and he will speak. And that's one of the endearing, or the many endearing things about Toto Wolf. He says what's on his mind. Is it a worry that they don't know? Maybe, but I think it's more of a worry if they rock up to Las Vegas doing more experimenting and and maybe go into the winter break still unsure of of, of this car design. Um, as we we said already, it's a really difficult thing developing a car. Never mind developing a car which is compromised anyway. So one of the things that Lewis did say that was positive coming out of of this weekend is that there can be plenty of learning done. So we can always be positive as Mercedes fans and think, right, it was a bad weekend, but we learn. And that was a good quote from Nicky Lauda, wasn't it? Um, Back when he won some award, was it the Loris Award or something like that? Loris, Um, yeah. Loris, that's it. Uh, forgive my pronunciation, that he always learns more from losing than he does winning. And that's the philosophy that the team needs to continue to have, and I've no doubt it will do. 
Yeah, I mean, just to add to that, this question of do you do you know, do you even know what the, what the issue is? I mean, yes, you're putting more wing on the car, but is it resulting in more downforce? I think it's a little more subtle than that, because I think a lot of times the metric of downforce is how fast you can go through the fast corners, like uh, Ferradura, which is, I think, turn six in, in Brazil. Um, the, the faster you can go through that, you, the more downforce you have, the faster you can go. But remember, what di- dictates how fast you can go through a corner is actual grip. I mean, a grip is a combination of, you know, what the the load on the contact patch is and what the tire temperatures are and the grip they're providing. So even if you have the right downforce level, aerodynamically speaking, if you can't get the tires in the right window, if you can't load and unload the contact patch in a way that puts energy into the, into the tires to get them into the appropriate temperature window, it's not going to do you any good because tires are, you know, this is... Um, something trumpets from Miss Apex podcast will say all the time, but tires are the most important thing in the Formula One car. They are the thing that is in contact with the road, the only thing in contact with the road. So even if you have a ton of downforce, and even if in principle you should be able to prevent the sliding, if you have no tire temperature or you have way too much tire temperature for vehicle dynamics reasons, you're still going to be sliding anyway, even if you have a lot of downforce. And so I think that there is a... A, a vehicle dynamics explanation to this situation, just as much as an aerodynamic one or something more generic with the setup in terms of an abstract sense. But there's no question that there's going to be a lot of learning done. There has been a lot so far. There will be more. Uh, I, I predict pain in general in Las Vegas. I haven't decided exactly what type of pain it is yet or exactly where it will be. But the, the, this this type of circuit layout in Las Vegas punishes uh, cars with, with high drag. And if they can't get the floor to work, uh, it's going to be a, a really tough race. But that being said, Formula One does throw up surprises every now and then. So anything can happen. Yeah, Lewis was sliding through Skier de la Lada, uh, turn four, uh, the, the high speed left hander at the end of uh, the the straight. And yeah, you, you knew he was leaking time during qualifying when you saw that. Do you think that the cooler conditions in Las Vegas will help or hinder Mercedes? Because yeah, it's, it's going to help the fact that the, the, there's not 50 degree track temperature, so the tyres aren't going to cook as much. But there might not be as much grip at all. In, in principle, I agree with you. Uh, so I agree with you in direction of the change in temperature. The problem is it's just, it's just way too much. The magnitude of that vector is way too much. Las, Las Vegas is going yeah. to be quite chilly. Uh, at least you won't have to worry about cooling drag for the brakes and things. That would be a positive. <laughs> but it's going to be extremely chilly. And I'd, I'd actually be more worried about cold grading, like not being able to get the tires temperature at all. I mean, of course, you know, turning and and and, and braking helps get uh, temperature into the tires and brakes. But those straights are so long, and you lose so much temperature on that long, long straight. It may not even matter. So I, I think that all teams, not just Mercedes, are going to have their work cut out for them, just figuring out what the car can even do in terms of temperatures, because they might even have to do two prep laps, two out laps. I mean, maybe even two formation laps for the race. I don't know. It's it's going to be one of the coldest conditions for a race that we've seen in formula one which is both exciting but concerning for for engineers i I suppose i agree you might see you might see the the best racing line is weaving on the straight just so that they could slow down for the corner i mean i i want to say it's a joke but i i can't rule it out at this point because it's it's all (laughs) it's all an unknown right now 
is, and that's what makes it exciting. We heard about Bryson's sort of thoughts about the Vegas Grand Prix. Adam, what's yours? So we're racing on the 19th of November. So what do you think the hopes and dreams are for the Mercedes team at Vegas? Uh, I, I probably tend to agree with Bryson that it's going to be a struggle in terms of track layout. But I think it's going to be a, a Grand Prix that we've never seen before in so many ways, not just in terms of track temperatures, uh, but in terms of off-the-track events. I don't know. I think I think Lewis might feed off it. He tends to feed off of that sort of thing. Um, that's why the atmosphere in Brazil tends to get get the best out of him. Yes, the car was struggling, but he's still putting a good performance. Austin, he put in a great race. There's plenty uh, of, of loud stuff going on off off the track there, and and of course you've got the British Grand Prix where. He is here, there, and everywhere. So I, I, I suspect he's looking forward to that, or looking forward to that in particular, and and he's going to try and get, yeah, he's going to feed off it, and and, and hopefully for Mercedes fans, put in a performance that can out outdrive the car. But as as Bryson said earlier, it was the figure I had in my head actually. The car makes up eighty percent of the performance. So, yeah. They will all be working flat out to try and make sure that this Mercedes is ready and can take on the challenges that we might not even be able to comprehend at this point uh, in just under two weeks' time. Just just one very small thing to, to build on that. I saw a rather sensational headline from the Daily Mail today suggesting that that's unusual. Sorry. <laughs> suggesting <laughs> suggesting that, that Brazil was the most embarrassing performance of Lewis Hamilton in his career. Uh, and aside from the obvious silliness of that statement, to be clear, this is much more an issue of Mercedes having a failure than the drivers per se. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that if these two drivers were supplied with a competitive car, they could extract 10 tenths out of it and be competing up there right with the rest of them. But this is this is much more a question of, of Mercedes's trials in Brazil as opposed to the drivers. But again, it is a team. It's a team effort. Everyone needs to be delivering at the highest level to be able to compete. And I do think ultimately they will get there. But this is definitely a, tar- a trying period. Yeah, it definitely is a trying period. And just like Machine Gun Kelly, we're going to leave this arena early. So Bryson, Adam, thank you so much for joining us here on the Silver Arrow podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. What a great end. That was the most, that was, it was so effortless. It was such a, it was so effortless. It's like, just like Machine Gun Kelly, I'm out of here. I I had to. I saw Bryson die a little bit inside. And that's all we have time for this week. A massive thank you to Adam and Bryson for joining us. Their social media handles are in the show notes. And thanks to you for listening. Do remember to follow us on Twitter at f one pod and hit that follow button in your podcast app. If you're enjoying these episodes and feeling extra kind, drop us a review and share this episode with anybody who you think may enjoy it. We'll see you soon.